Hi, welcome everyone. Welcome back. Yeah, beautiful. We've got a great opportunity today to really take a deep dive. And um, yeah, really what Jesus is just teaching us, he's just showing us the way. He's showing us how to forgive. And that's the, that's the one question that is important in the mind. Whenever you feel distressed or uncomfortable or upset in any way, then really the question in the mind, the prayer of the mind is, how do I forgive? It's interesting too because this retreat is called going beyond the body, it's beyond the body, and, and yet everything that we think and feel and perceive seems to be so directly related to the body. We seem to perceive the whole world through the body, even though it's actually our mind that's, uh, that's dreaming and perceiving the dream, it seems that the body is, is involved in a big way, that the body is the hero of the dream. And, and when we look at our motives, you know, Jesus is saying, yeah, look honestly, what, what motives do you have, what things do you do in this world that don't involve in some way the body's comfort or the body's pleasure. Um, the body is made by the ego and it's be made to be an end in itself, almost like you can bestow all the goodies of the world on it. Get, get as much pleasure, maximize the pleasure, maximize the comfort, maximize the convenience, and, uh, and then you grow old and die. It reminds me of a line in the Bible, it's, eat, drink, and be merry, for one day we shall die. Uh, not really, that doesn't sound that good to me, you know, I'm not really inspired by that. Uh, I want to know, what is it that I can find peace of mind with? How can I let the body be used as a means of awakening instead of an end in itself, which the ego sees it as? So for me it's, we're all coming into our function as miracle workers with this retreat because we want to be inspired, we want our heart to be inspired, we want the Spirit to speak through us and smile through us and laugh through us and hug through us and, and let our body be a witness and a demonstration of, of unconditional love. You know, that's, that's what we want, that's the prayer of our heart. We want to be instruments of love. Or as St. Francis prayed, you know, Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. So, as we move on with the movie here, um, I thought I would just read a paragraph from uh, the workbook of A Course in Miracles to give us a, a, a mindset. Uh, Francis talked last night about setting the goal and putting that purpose out in front. And she talked about how important that is because if you don't have that clear-cut purpose in front, with, I mean with everything, everything you think, say, and do, with every situation, with every circumstance, if you don't have that peace, that happiness, that joy, that love out in front as your purpose, then the situation will just seem to happen and then you'll look back on it and review it and and the ego will always be involved in that looking back, because only the ego looks back. And, and the ego does judge. 
whether it's positive or negative, the ego will judge the experience as a positive one or a negative one. And then the whole meaning of the situation is lost. Because the situation is a whole, there aren't good aspects to it and bad. It's the, the situation with the Holy Spirit is seen as a whole. So, just like in the Bible, you know, they told uh, Lot's wife, don't look back or you'll turn into a pillar of salt. I don't know if some of you remember that from the movie The Ten Commandments, but a uh, very striking image of a, of a salt woman. <laughs> Fro like a block, she's just a, a salt woman. And that's what happens when you live based on the past, past learning. You're literally frozen and you're locked into a concept of self that God did not create. And you have guilt and you have fear and and that is not our God's will for us, is to, to have fear and guilt. Our, God's will for us is perfect happiness. So here's what Jesus has to say about forgiveness, and we can keep this in mind as we watch Mr. Nobody. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness recognizes what you thought your brother did to you has not occurred. It does not pardon sins and make them real. It sees there was no sin. And in that view are all your sins forgiven. What is a sin except a false idea about God's Son? Forgiveness merely sees its falsity and therefore lets it go. What then is free to take the place is now the will of God. And then Francis made reference to this beautiful saying last night. Forgiveness, on the other hand, is still and quietly does nothing. It offends no aspect of reality nor seeks to twist it to appearances it likes. It merely looks and waits and judges not. So that's how easy forgiveness is. It merely looks and waits and judges not. It's a state of mind. It's not an action that you take toward a person. It's, it's a state of mind that sees that all appearances are equally false. That there aren't positive dreams and negative dreams, and you're not here to accept the positive dreams and affirm the positive dreams and dismiss or release the negative dreams. Jesus actually says in the text, the dreams you think you like can hold you back as much as those where the fear is apparent. So, as we continue on with Mr. Nobody, you know, Nemo is seeing these scenes from his lifetimes. He's seeing, we're seeing scenes of him as a 117-year-old man who uh, wants to wake up. We're seeing scenes uh, of him as a child uh, with his parents, as a baby with his new parents, as a child uh, with his parents. We're seeing, we'll see more scenes of him when he's about uh, nine years old, 15 years old, and already now we've seen a major event that 
has come up for Nemo and and that is that his father uh, got out of his car, the, was trying to find, wondering what this little um, chip was, chip of egg shell in his mouth and then the car with no parking brake rolled down the hill and killed a mother. And then the father went into depression. So that's where we're going to pick up the movie and you can think back in your own life to events maybe that happened to your mother or your father or events that happened in your life that were like significant events seemingly that seemed to have a causative factor, like a domino factor. Like the father, Nemo's father uh, feels guilt, he feels uh, a sense of neglect, that he was neglectful, uh, shamefulness and depression comes from those thoughts and those uh, beliefs and then of course it seems to be a domino effect because uh, that seems to have an impact on his relationship between his mother and father and also seems to be a factor in their divorce and their separating, splitting up and you can think about that in your own life with, with the factors. It can be disease, it can be broken relationships of divorces, uh, it can be getting turned down for particular jobs or, or believing that you were advancing in some areas when actually it was just a playing out of ego beliefs. That's all the, the dream world is. The dream that you dream in secret is the, the belief that separation from God is possible and effect, cause and effect are separate and then the dream world plays out this belief that cause and effect are separate where certain things happen that cause other things. And you may still be carrying guilt over something you said to somebody sometime in your life or something you did that you wish you hadn't done or something that you wish somebody had done for you that they didn't do, that you hold a grievance against them for what they didn't do or the way they treated you. And this movie is showing us as Nemo is looking through his life and he's actually pondering this whole idea of linear time and cause and effect and, and he's just beginning to open up, we'll say in mind, to the idea that all of these dreams were all made as a, as a device to keep him from knowing who he really is as spirit. And eventually as we move on in the movie today you will actually see the signs and symbols start to get very pronounced for him. I would say they're orchestrated and they're just so guided by the spirit to take him into a function of being happy and releasing the dream world entirely of having no interest in attraction to return to these symbols of, of fear and pain and guilt and transcending all of the temptations of the world but through a guided way. Instead of uh, sitting around and meditating for 15 hours a day, this is, this is the Course's pathway. Jesus is, is taking us on the fast track through the Holy Spirit's purpose and the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of Jesus, we are able to go through a major time collapse and really in the end bring the Alpha and the Omega together 
and, and realize that time is simultaneous and never was linear. It never was a linear progressive sequence. That was all just a trick to keep the mind feeling guilty. What a relief, actually, to be able to be free from the belief that, that you've done something wrong in the past and that somehow you have to like make up with your karma for what you did wrong. It, really, nothing was do done wrong or right. It was a dream of wrong and right that was projected from the, the secret dream and now we're starting to realize we don't have to go for that anymore. We don't have to think like that anymore. We don't have to think hypothetically. We can be guided. From this moment on in your life, you can actually tune into your guidance and live from your heart. Follow your bliss, like Joseph Campbell said. Follow your joy. Follow your happiness. Live a guided life where everything that seems to happen is just reflections of symbols of what you want in your heart. And right now, in this point of the movie, uh, Nemo is just pondering this whole idea of, of what happened with his father. He, he even, you remember he was in his room and he was playing and it, it showed a woman on a little bicycle and it showed a little car. And so, even in his little toys, like his childhood toys, he was quite aware of, of what was happening outside on the street. Because it's all happening in our mind. Nothing is really happening outside of our mind. Everything is happening in our consciousness and we can release ourselves from this crazy grip of linear time. So here we go, let's rejoin the movie and see where it goes. Okay, I think, I think everybody can really relate to this kind of a, a hypothetical choice. I mean, Parents go through a divorce and then are, you're told you have to make a choice uh, whether to stay with mom or stay with dad. And this just shows you the whole conundrum, the whole in, intensity of time and space. Because he's already said earlier in the film, you know, that there's certain things when you mix them together they, they can't come apart again. When time seems to just go forward, when you make one choice, one hypothetical choice, it seems that you eliminate another. And what we would say, in terms of what we just watched, there's a scenario where his mother says, Nemo, you have to make a choice. Are you going to stay with me or stay with your father? Uh, and then he's just got this look of bewilderment. Uh, it's like an impossible situation. Uh, asking a child uh, whether they are going to stay with the mother or the father when uh, there's this sense of love and, and the hypothetical seems to force a split or force a, a limitation to that love. And again, it's all part of the trick of time where it seems like in this world we have to make a lot of choices and when we make certain choices we open doors and we close down other doors. We open certain possibilities with our choices and we close down other possibilities. And this can lead to regrets. You know, oftentimes people say, oh, when I look back at my life I have these regrets. 
uh, I made these choices and I, I, I replay them in my mind. Uh, even in The Matrix, some of you know the movie The Matrix, uh, Cypher uh, is one of the little team that's working with uh, Morpheus. And um, Cypher has a lot of doubt and fear that comes up and he's the one who, enter, who, who says the line, why oh why didn't I take the blue pill? You see, even Cypher is, has got some uh, doubt because he took the red pill as Morpheus uh, had said to go down the rabbit hole and, and, and see what, what was really there, to go for the truth of oneness, and he had the regret. Why, oh, why didn't I take the blue pill? So, here is Nemo at the railroad station and he's confronted with an impossible choice. And I would say, the only reason it seems to be this way is because the perception of time is as if it's going in one direction and as if other choices are be el being eliminated by a, a particular choice. If he goes with his, stays with his father, his mom goes off on the train and he doesn't know what that, that, that would just be a hypothetical like how his life would have been with his mother. Also we see he just had his eyes on little Anna and uh, the, his mother, he sees in the forest at the boat dock, is, uh, is having, having an affair uh, with, a, with a man, obviously not, not his uh, depressed father, but another man, and Anna is the daughter of, of the, the man that uh, his mother's having the affair with. So he's a bit shocked there, like, the girl that he's infatuated with is now uh, her father's dating <laughs> or seeing uh, his mother. That's one scenario. And then there's another scenario, of course, of trying to be the dutiful son and stay with the depressed uh, parent. Some of us had played that scenario out where, you know, we think, I, I have to, I'm obligated to, uh, even though my, my parent is depressed, I'm obligated to, to stay with them and be with them. I owe them. I, I owe them that. And you see, all of these are just potentialities. They're all just projections of beliefs in sacrifice. And heaven has nothing to do with sacrifice. And oneness has nothing to do with sacrifice. But if you believe in duality, you believe in the sacrifice of oneness. You, you believe that you have literally left God, left oneness, left the Creator, and now you've got to make decisions in a dualistic world. The ego doesn't really tell you that all the decisions you'll make in terms of form are all really the same decision. It's kind of like the anomaly in the, in the second matrix when, when uh, Neo finally goes to meet the architect and he sees all these TV screens, all these monitors with, with a Neo character screaming, shouting, cursing in all different variations of the anomaly. And the ego doesn't tell you that, that basically as long as you're trying to choose among things in this world, you're choosing where no choice is possible. Uh, it's a projection and the ego has made a giant hall of mirrors, a giant maze of complexity called the veil 
that covers over the truth of who you are. And as long as you keep choosing between the images and choosing between the scenarios and choosing between the situations, you're really just choosing where no choice is possible because it's all a projection. Now, there is a part in the matrix, you might remember, that same uh, number two matrix when, when he's, at, he's with the architect and, and, and he realizes the problem is choice. Uh, the ego made up choice. In heaven is perfect oneness. There is no choice in one. <laughs> there is no choice in perfect love. There is no choice in perfect oneness. So oftentimes in this world, in this dream world, free will gets associated with choice. And free will doesn't have anything to do with choice. In fact, you might say that the only reflection of free will, which is God's will, in this world of choice, seeming choice, is, is the Holy Spirit and being able to follow your guidance. And as long as you follow your intuition and your guidance, then you're choosing with the Spirit. You're choosing in alignment. And then that will sh help shorten the dream world. That will, sh that will collapse time. It will collapse all of these pseudo-choices down into workbook lesson of the Course, which is, heaven is the decision I must make. That's our only decision, is, is choosing the correction, is choosing the atonement, is choosing forgiveness. And yet, that one decision is hidden beneath a myriad of false scenarios and false choices. So, what's great about this movie is, you know, you see the look on his face at the train station when his mother says, Nemo, have you made your choice? Are you going to stay with me or are you going to go with your father? And he just has a look of utter devastation. Like, oh my God, what kind of choice is that? Uh, that that's a horrific choice uh, for a child. And yet, if we go deeper into the mind, we realize that that whole scenario, the train station, mother, father, divorce, and, and little boy has to choose, is all still a projection of the secret dream. That, that really isn't a difficult situation. It's the, it's the purpose of the ego in this secret dream that has projected out all of these scenarios of time and space. And the only thing beneficial is to tune in, as Francis was saying, tune in to your purpose. Tune inward into your mind. Don't try to evaluate in terms of the form and the appearances. What Francis was teaching last night was pray. And I'm not talking about superficial prayer because that was great when, when uh, Esther brought up the question around prayer almost tongue-in-cheek, like saying, well, sometimes when I say, oh, pray about it, ha, ha, ha. You know, it, prayer kind of can be thought of as this kind of uh, crazy device that only religious people use. <laughs> uh, not as the power of your mind, and like Francis said, what do you desire? Do you desire harmony? Do you desire peace of mind? Do you desire joy? Do you desire happiness? Because you can use the power of your mind to desire any of those things. And yet, the ego turns prayer into a farce. Almost like, oh well, you pray for certain outcomes. Sometimes 
you get what you pray for, sometimes you don't. Uh, that's why it's a ha-ha-ha farce to the ego, because the ego doesn't have any clue about what prayer really is, or the power of prayer. Uh, there's even a movie um, where it's spoken, the words, uh, uh, where there's a, it brings up the question of God. Uh, you know, the, the man says, when, when you pray to God for what you want, God is the one who doesn't answer you. You know, so that's, that's like a, a farce played out as if God doesn't answer prayer. Oh, the Holy Spirit is in your mind and your prayers are answered, but it's not so mad, much a matter of whether you pray or you don't pray, because as Francis was referring to, you know, you pray without ceasing. The real question is, what are you praying for? Are you praying for release? Are you playing, praying for healing? Are you play, praying for happiness, uh, for, for forgiveness? Or are you praying to have a will apart from God and dingle-dangle around with images. And, and even for Nemo, he of course is going to, to go through this same thing with relationships. We had a scene earlier, we saw in the, earlier in the movie where little Nemo's walking by when he's nine years old and there's three girls all dressed up in their dresses sitting in, on the bench. And there it is, there's, there's Jean, and there's Anna, and there's Elise. And this is how it works with the ego. It's like, who is my partner? Who is my soulmate? Um, he's going to play that out. He's, we just saw him at the pool watching Anna uh, swimming, and, and then we saw her on the dock, and, and her father there, who's, who's in a, a relationship uh, dating his, his mother. And that's one of them, that's Anna. And then there's Elise, we've seen a little bit of Elise. Nemo, close it, that hurts my eyes, the sunlight hurts my eyes. And we've seen Jean at the pool with her uh, yellow dress and their child. Jean and uh, Nemo have a child, Paul. We've seen little snippets already in the movie. But what we're going to see is that those are all thoughts. Those are all scenarios that play out. Not so much in a linear way, but nothing is linear. Everything that you think is possible, hypothetically, is what you draw to your mind through selective perception. And you might say that it's all happening at the same time. So as long as you have a, a dream that you dream in secret, as long as you want idols, and believe me, bodies and everything of this world, these images of the world are idols. <laughs> In the Bible it said, have no idols before the Lord thy God. Have no graven images before the Lord thy God. Now we're getting a broader interpretation of what that meant in the Bible. It's really shown to us in this movie. But in one sense you might say he, he still has an idol wish. He's still wishing for something. He still feels like human beings feel, lacking they feel like they have a hole inside, they're, they have an emptiness in their heart, and they're looking to fill up that emptiness with a love interest, a career, a hobby, a pursuit in the world, an achievement in the world, something in the world, 
you know, something in the dream to help fill the emptiness that's felt inside. And what we're learning again, one more time, it's the secret dream where that emptiness comes from. It's the belief that you can separate from your source. Oh yeah, that will bring an empty feeling, a very chaotic, fearful, empty feeling. And then you can look for relationships and achievements, accomplishments, possessions, uh, hobbies, the list goes on and on, all kinds of interest. You can look for all kinds of things in the little crystal ball of time and space. Or you can go inward to forgiveness, past the secret dream, and inward toward the light. So let's, let's see, he's starting to uh, think about these scenarios with his mother, with his father, and also at this point with uh, Anna, uh, and, and seeing if he can find some satisfaction. I'm, I'm sure some of you remember Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones. I can't get no satisfaction, but I tried, and I tried, and I tried, and I tried, I can't get no, you know, it, most of you don't think that is a spiritual song, but actually that's the Holy Spirit <laughs> showing through Mick Jagger the attempt at trying to satisfy the, the hole that you, the emptiness you feel inside your, your heart through using dream figures and dream situations to try to satisfy. And, and believe me, sooner or later we all get to sing that Mick Jagger song. Uh, that just is the beginning before we start to find our holy function as a miracle worker and, and our, our, our connection with, uh, with Christ and our connection with God. So, here we go. Okay. Can some of you see, relate to this? I'm okay, Dad. I'm fine. Fine, fine, fine. I've got everything that I need. Then he gets out on the motorcycle. Uh, we know how he's feeling. He's far from fine. And, and really this is the whole human condition. You know, we may tell our friends, our family, our loved ones, when they ask, how are you doing? How are you doing? Fine. Just fine doing fine. And then underneath we're like screaming, ah, I can't believe I'm, I'm in this dream of time and space, it's driving me crazy. There's one thing after another, one issue after another, you know, oh my God, I can't believe I'm still in skin. <laughs> after, all, after all this years and millennium of choices, I'm still dealing with flesh and <laughs> <laughs> you know, wanting to escape your skin, you know, saying, I wish I wasn't in this skin. So, this is, this is what people-pleasing is, and this is what not being intuitive is. I mean, if you were intuitive, if you were being guided moment by moment, and you were in touch with your divine guidance, it wouldn't really matter what the scenarios seem to be, you would be there in your joy, in your purpose in your sense of giving. Your whole purpose is to see the world in holistic terms, but as long as you define yourself by false beliefs, and as long as you define yourself by roles, then you will perceive the entire situation through that belief system. 
And so we see Nemo being like a nine-year-old boy. We see Nemo as a 15-year-old. We see Nemo as an adult. We, we see the, the parents in different scenarios, when, when they're just having the little baby, baby boy, Nemo, and then we see them divorcing, fighting, divorcing, and then we see different scenarios. Her, the father off in a wheelchair, uh, depressed and in a wheelchair with a, a dutiful son taking care of him, and then we see Nemo in another scenario where he's, he's w with his mother and he's flown across the ocean and he's, uh, he's there with Anna and they're sneaking around <laughs> in the house you know, having sex and, and doing what 15, 16 year olds do in terms of with their, their sexuality and hiding so, the, so mom and dad don't uh, see it and so forth. But in other words, there's all these scenarios. And it's typical of the ego to tell you that when you choose certain things, you eliminate other possibilities. That's why the reporter was saying, Tell me, did you, did you stay with your mother or with your dad? And you notice Nemo didn't answer, because he's not sure. It's, it's starting to open to the idea that it's all simultaneous, and whatever you're perceiving as, as your life in a limited way is just based on your beliefs and your thoughts. We tend to think that there's a world outside of us, and we have thoughts that are just private to ourself, and that have no relationship to society, and no relationship to the world we see. And then, that's part of Jesus' mind training in the workbook, where he's got an early lesson that says, my thoughts are images I have made. If you can think of something, you may think, well, it's one thing to think of something, or to imagine something, but it's another thing for something to actually happen. You see the difference? Have a thought, and then something that actually happens. Something that you imagine, and something that actually happens. But there really is no distinction. Whatever you're thinking about is, is what you are making real for yourself. If you are imagining things, then you are using your powerful mind to imagine those things. Whether they seem to happen or not, in terms of what you perceive through the body's eyes, you have to start to realize that there is no world apart from what you think. And you don't really have a private mind. It's just that that mind, those thoughts that are going through your consciousness, are producing the world that you're perceiving. And, and so therefore, you can't claim that you're independent from the, the world. You can't maintain that the world is external to your mind, because the world is not external. Everything, Jesus says, I am responsible for what I see. I choose the feelings that I experience, and I decide upon the goal I would achieve, and everything that seems to happen to me, I ask for and receive as I have asked. Wow, those thoughts are, are producing the perceptions of the world. And whether you just say, oh, I'm just imagining that, it's not actually happening, or whether you say, this is actually happening, that's, that's an artificial distinction. 
So when you look at this, you can start to say, wow, then that's a predicament, that's a real conundrum because if my thoughts aren't loving, if I have judgmental thoughts or jealousy, envy, if I have greed, if I have thoughts of possession, if I have thoughts of ownership, then I'm going to see a world that reflects those thoughts. It's just that simple. Not that they're real thoughts, those aren't your real thoughts, those aren't the thoughts you think with God, but, but those real thoughts in that holy instant where you're connected completely with God, that's been covered over in awareness by these ego thoughts. That's been covered over in awareness by the secret dream, the dream that you dream in secret. So the world that the one that was given away, as if it's happening to you, is just a, another aspect of the same dream of, of the ego, except some aspects are, are secret, they're unknown, and others seem to be obviously playing out as images. But they're the same. My thoughts are images I have made. My attack thoughts are producing a world of attack. Now, you don't always recognize the attack because fear can, can be disguised in many pleasant forms. And it is disguised in pleasant forms. I remember when I was first reading the Course and I got to three subsections in a row and I was just like, my mouth dropped open, I was like, oh my gosh. The first subsection was called Attraction to Guilt. And I remember when I first saw the title of the subsection, I was like, ooh, that doesn't sound good, Attra Attraction to Guilt. Then the next one, I read the next section, Attraction to Pain. Oh, okay, that sounds pretty sick. Uh, then <laughs> I read the next section, Attraction to Death. Oh, great, thank you, thank you very much. Yeah, that's what Jesus was saying with three sections like that in the book, back to back to back. Attraction to guilt, attraction to pain, attraction to death. He's basically saying, as long as you believe in the ego, you're a death worshiper. You're a Satan worshiper. He doesn't quite use those words, but he does use death worship. <laughs> I just threw that in for some fun. For the Christians, some of you former Christians. Uh, but. But basically, this is dark. Uh, if, if the ego is a death wish, if the ego is the belief that, that you separated from God, or the belief that there is no God, and you, or belief that you have no source, that's dark. And then it shouldn't be surprising that the world that outpictures that dark belief system is, is not so sweet. <laughs> it's not so sweet at all. You know, it's, it's pretty intense. And that's what we're seeing in the movie, even though there's these different scenarios that, that Neo is thinking about and imagining, it doesn't fit together in kind of a linear, coherent way that movies are supposed to be fit together. But what it is, is it's showing that everything that he's perceiving is, is a reflection of his secret dream. And there isn't harmony, you can tell there there's the typical ups and downs, the ooh-la-las, ooh-ooh, this is good, good, ooh-ooh, this is terrible, terrible. It's, it's a, that's what this world is. When you follow and you believe in this secret dream and you haven't exposed it and released it, then basically what you perceive in the world with the human character 
as the subject and the vast world as the object is is full of a mixture of um, of experiences. You may get little glimmers of light that come through the shadows, but but it's not really a very happy uh, happy dream at all. We honestly have to say, and yet if we still value that thought system, if we still value the ego belief system, that's what we're going to get. So here we go, we're, we're seeing now, um, we're getting some other scenarios where the scenario where he's gone off with his dad as the dutiful son and uh, tries to say, Dad, I'm fine, I'm fine, and it's no problem, and then he's going crazy and looking for some kind of love and nurturing and support in his life, and then the other scenario with uh, his mother and Anna, and this is just, I, mean, I know you can relate to a lot of this because this is the way our dream scenarios play out when we, we seem to jump from scene to scene, place to place, person to person, and yet still I can't get no satisfaction. Okay, here we go. Okay, let's pause it. Okay. Yeah, this seems to be a good point to really start to take a deeper dive into the mind, into the dream that is dreamed in secret. You know, as we watch these scenarios where, you know, Nemo feels so rejected and abandoned from Elise, uh, when she comes out of that house with her boyfriend and he gets on his motorcycle and he uh, goes very fast and hits the leaf and then he finds himself in a hospital uh, and you see his broken body. Or in the scene we just saw right there where he has this teenage love affair with Anna and then again his mother breaks up, this time instead of with the father, with, with this man, and, and he, Anna's father takes her away, and he's just fraught with loss, like, like the loss of a loved one. Whether it be is through death, or through sickness, or through moving away, you know, these are the emotions that we feel in conjunction with this dream. Betrayal abandonment, frustration, boredom. You know, when he's taking care of his dad, his depressed dad, you know, he's, he's typing at the typewriter, writing a futuristic uh, novel, sci-fi novel about travel to Mars. Uh, you see how the mind has endless ways in this make-believe dream to distract itself from love. And you might remember last night that uh, that Vivian was asking about certain um, certain words. You know, she mentioned compromise, non-compromise. She mentioned mask, and Francis took the time to talk about how the body suffers to as a mask to hide what really suffers. And then Francis pointed out it's the mind. The sleeping mind that believes it has separated from God. It's such a horrific feeling 
to believe that you can separate from your source, from your parent, your spirit parent, God. And it's so dark. This unconscious mind is the dream that you dream in secret, that Jesus actually says that this mind is so dark that it had to make up a surface mask, which is called the, the face of innocence. And he says the face of innocence is wet with tears at the injustices of the world, but this face of innocence is the dream that was given away. The dream that we perceive through our five senses, the dream that the body seems to be a part of, is part of a distractive device to keep you from going inside your mind and forgiving. The, the mind is where the forgiveness is. The mind is the, you might say, the activating agent of spirit in the clarification of terms, Jesus says the mind is the activating agent of spirit. So the mind is not something to be forgotten, it's not something to be dismissed. I know when you listen to Eckhart Tolle or you listen to Muji and a lot of the teachers and everything, sometimes they say the mind is the problem, you know, Rupert Spira, you know, the problem is the mind. The problem is the mind and the body, but actually you, who you are is an idea in the mind of God, and that you have a mind that is full of light. That aspect of the mind is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the remembrance of God. It's so bright, but there's such a terror, having believed in the ego, there's such a terror of that light. Uh, the ego feels like that light will be its destruction. And in one sense, the ego will will dissolve into nothingness when it, when it is brought to the light. So it will disappear. And so will its projected world of time and space when the mind returns to revelation and to, returns to creation, uh, pure light. For me, it's, you know, when I had my revelatory experiences and I went totally into that light, then I was, every single time I had a revelation experience, it was like, when I saw the world of images, I, I knew that this world was not my home, because I actually had direct experiences of the light. So, let's go back to what Francis was talking about last night, that the mind suffers in order to, to be the mask that, to cover over what really suffers, and then Francis went in and said, what really suffers is the mind. So, there's this huge, dark pain in the mind, in the dream that you dream in secret. Jesus says, he says that this uh, deep aspect of the mind, the hidden secret part of the mind, is draped with sin. In other words, he's using those words, draped with sin, to just tell you how dark it is. Not that sin's real, because it's a belief. It's not real, because God didn't create sin. But if you believe in separation from God, then you do believe in sin. And then, what plays out in the dream world is a way to escape from that deep sense of hurt and pain and loss that's in the mind. The body suffers as a mask in order to hide what really suffers, which is the mind. Psychologically, when you feel heartbroken in this world, it's the person that seems to be heartbroken, that personal you that seems to be heartbroken, that seems to be in a body, Yep, that's the mask 
that is suffering in order to hide what really suffers, the suffering in the mind. It's, it's covering guilt. The mind that believes it can separate from God has a deep, deep ontological guilt, a feeling of terrible wrongness, like something horrific has gone wrong, and then the world of dreams was made to distract away from that guilt, and yet it also is the projection of that guilt, that the ego projects the world from that feeling of wrongness and guilt. So, in one sense, let's take that whole idea that Francis was talking about a little further. The mind suffers as a mask over what really suffers. There's a part in the Course, in chapter 29, where Jesus is basically saying that, um, that the, all the, he says, all figures in the dream are idols, made to save you from the dream. Yet they are part of what they have been made to save you from. Thus does an idol keep the dream alive and terrible. For who could wish for one unless he were in terror and despair? Then, a little bit later in that same section, he's basically talking about, he says, nightmares are childish dreams. The toys, meaning the body and all the things of this world, the toys have turned against the child who thought he made them real. Yet can a dream attack? Or can a toy grow large and dangerous and fierce and wild? This does the child believe because he fears his thoughts and gives them to the toys instead. So this is really what's going on in the secret dream. There's so much fear in the unconscious mind that the unconscious mind assigns the fears, assigns the pain, assigns the suffering to the human beings, to the persons, to the idols, to the toys. Sometimes it's kind of cute to think of your body as like a toy. <laughs> you know, like when you're kids, remember, did any of you women or, or men play with Barbies or G.I. Joes? Did any of you have dolls? Did any of you have dolls when you were kids? Remember how you used to hold the dolls and you'd have them? I don't know. When I was little, my mom got me some trolls. You know, the ones with the big, <laughs> the big hair. <laughs> And I had little troll. I played little troll dolls. I, don't, I wasn't so much into war games and killing and guns and G.I. Joe and all this stuff, but I played little trolls. I had trolls. And you know, a little child, when you're playing with, in your little playhouse with the little trolls or little dolls, it's make-believe, you know. You can make up any kind of fantasy, any kind of story you want for these little dolls. Most of us have played with dolls in some way. Jesus is saying, now he's going to use the metaphor, and he's saying, the body that you think you are, and the bodies that you think your brothers and sisters are, they're like the dolls. They're, he calls them toys. He actually calls these bodies, these dream figures, he calls them toys. And he says, you're assigning the feelings that you feel in your mind, in your consciousness, to these dolls. So you're, you're having the dream act out your fantasies of, of darkness. And, and the thing is, some of the, some of the fantasies are, we would say, ooh la la, you know. Like we're seeing in the movies, some of the fantasies seem to be very pleasurable. And some of the fantasies, like, like having a crash on your motorcycle and being thrown to the hospital, those are not, 
Those are not pleasurable at all. Those are very painful. But the toys take on the attributes of the thoughts of pain and pleasure, of betrayal, of, of denial, of suffering, in all kinds of forms. So everything you perceive in the dream is an attempt to put the thoughts in the mind which we have believed are real. We think these are our real thoughts. You know, we think we're the thinker of these pretty wacky judgments. But we aren't really the thinker of those judgments because we're the Christ. We weren't even created in, in a state of mind to have such judgmental thoughts. But while we believe they're real, Jesus is like, judge not lest ye be judged. Judge not lest you assign your crazy judgmental thoughts to your toys, the body. And then when the body seems to get symptoms and the body seems to suffer, that's a trick to really not face what's really suffering, which is the mind that believes it's separated from God. So this whole world, this whole dream world was made to keep you mindless. You know, like in Buddhism where they say, like if you listen to Thich Nhat Hanh and some of the famous Buddhists, they will say, you need mindfulness. You need to come back into the awareness of your mind. And that's what Jesus is saying, is while you're projecting and blaming and pointing the finger, while you're saying, oh my God, my body suffers, I need medicine, I need surgery, I need, I need help, where are the physicians? Oh, it's hard to maintain, uh, get off of me, suffering, I got to get rid of this suffering. The pandemic comes, ah, yipes! <laughs> now it's an invisible virus <laughs> all over the globe, ah, yipes, yipes! Jesus is like, come on, come on now, don't keep scaring yourself like with things like uh, COVID-19. Don't scare yourself with these tornadoes and hurricanes. Don't scare yourself with sickness and aging. These are puppets that your mind has made up to dump all the guilt onto the puppets. And then you wonder why it's so hard to forgive. Puppets don't forgive. <laughs> you, you, you may go visit the grave of the father or mother that you were angry at. You may put flowers there every year. You can even do your condolences and say your forgiveness and everything, but until you realize the power of the mind and the power of thoughts, then you aren't even close to forgiving. You're, you're just, you're just going to play the victim and then project it out onto the body as if the body and the things of the world are the cause. Oh, this body has, what does it have now? Cancer. No, it's heart disease. No, it's, it's COVID-19. Well, it's none of those things, but I, I have a poor body. I don't have any money in my bank account of this body. <laughs> it's a poor body. Or maybe it's a rich body, but it's bored. It's a bored, rich body. <laughs> it's got everything the world can offer, and it's bored out of its gourd. You know, it's, it's still not happy. You know, how many rich people do you meet that you find are truly, genuinely happy all the time? No, it, money doesn't bring anything. And physical beauty, you know, one minute you're physically beauty, the next minute you look like Mother Teresa. You've got, like, how many wrinkles in Mother Teresa's face? Ever look at some of those photos? It's like, I counted them a few times. It was up in the thousands. <laughs> and did Mother Teresa care? No, she didn't care at all. She didn't even think about it. She's accepting the Nobel Peace Prize with the wrinkled body, and she's just in her 
glory, the glory of Jesus. You know, she's not concerned about appearances. You think Mother Teresa is going to be walking a catwalk and doing modeling? No, no, no. She wants to be a, Christ, a servant of Christ. She's not concerned of wrinkles. <laughs> you, you know, she's not concerned of the puppet. And you have to likewise be, you have to let go of this, this identification and this huge investment in the toys, the puppets. Okay, here we go. As we go into it, we see um, Jesus says, There is a time when childhood should be passed and gone forever. Seek not to retain the toys of children. Put them away. Put them all away, for you have need of them no more. The dream of judgment is a children's game in which the child becomes the father, powerful, but with little wisdom of a child. What hurts him is destroyed, what helps him blessed, except he judges this as a child does. And basically, what he really is telling us is these toys, their reality becomes his own because they seem to save him from his thoughts. There it is. Save him from his thoughts. Yet do they keep his thoughts alive and real, but seen outside himself where they can turn against him for his treachery to them. He thinks he needs them, the toys, the puppets, the bodies, the world, the dreams, that he may escape his thoughts because he thinks the thoughts are real. And so he makes of anything a toy to make his world remain outside himself and play that he is but a part of it. This is the big victim story. If your mind's doing it to itself, then why not stop? You know, Jesus is saying, stop doing this to yourself. You know, you didn't separate from God. God is not angry. God is not punishing. God is not any of those things that the ego tries to, to fool us into believing. God is pure love, like in the prodigal son story. He'll come, he'll come rushing to meet you if you come back to him, if you come back to the light. But as long as you play victim, as long as you play that you're mistreated, that you're, you are unjustly taken advantage of, as long as you believe that there's external causes in this world that are capable of taking your peace of mind away, then Jesus is saying, you're just playing like a little child and you're playing dolls. And you're, you know, oh, one, now we lay the doll down and sick. Oh, this one's sick in bed. Oh, let's get the little nurse doll. How you doing? Can I bring you something? You know, the mind is doing it just like children who play with dolls. The mind is playing with these bodies and these things of this world. And it's absolutely terrifying because these are just little temporary figures that at some point are going to disappear. But when they disappear, they will disappear because you've forgiven them, because you've You've given your thoughts over to the Holy Spirit for purification, and you've let go of these judgments and attack thoughts and grievances. Of course that's the happy dream. That's lesson 23. I can escape from the world I see by giving up attack thoughts. Of course that must be the answer. By giving up the judgments, the grievances, the attack thoughts, 
I can then remember, yes, my thoughts are very powerful, but my real thoughts are very loving, because the real thoughts are the thoughts I think with God, and they're not egoic. And when you go into all this mind training, and you finally start to get in touch with your real thoughts, you're going to be so happy that you're just going to be extending love, extending kindness, extending generosity, extending laughter, extending happiness, because when you're in line with your real thoughts, that's what the whole point of forgiveness is. You release the belief in the ego, you release the belief in these ego thoughts as well. So, we're watching this movie and we're seeing Nemo, I like Nemo, is kind of like almost a version of Neo from the Matrix. Neo, Nemo. Now Nemo is going to discover, he's opening to discover he is the one, just like Neo discovered <laughs> from, from his experiences in the Matrix that he is the one. Just like all of us are going to discover that we are the one. There's just one of us. There's not multiple of us. But we have to learn to use these images of time and space as the Holy Spirit would have us use them so that we can see the Christ in every single form. Everyone we look at, we can connect with the Christ. How do you connect with the Christ in your brothers and sisters? Well, you can think, my brothers and sisters and who I seem to be, these are, these are all bodies, so these are dream characters. Let's just admit, we'll call them dream characters. But behind every dream character is what? A dreamer, right? You have to have a dreamer to have dream characters. So what if you join with the dreamer in your brother and the dreamer in your sister? What if you join with that part that's invulnerable? What if you join with that part that, that is in your mind, that is powerful? What if every encounter you had with the dream character, you prayed and you say, let me see the dreamer inside this brother, inside this sister, because when you can see the dreamer in them, you can see the dreamer in yourself. The way you find yourself as the dreamer of this dream is joining with your brothers and sisters, not condemning them, not judging against them, not pushing them away, not saying, get out of my face, go, go somewhere else, but it's actually by joining in the dreamer. And that's what forgiveness is. It's joining in the dreamer, not in the dream figure. Remember what Jesus says, minds are joined, bodies are not. Dreamer, there's one dreamer, so when you join in the dreamer, you're joining with the Holy Spirit. You're, don't join with the characters. What does it mean, don't join with the characters? Stop asking them to be a certain way. Don't give them roles and say, I'll love you if you play out the role that I want you to play for me. I'll love you as long as I can get something from you. Oh, that's, path that's really pathetic. That's dark. This world is forgiving. It's not forgetting. But when we have expectations of our brothers and sisters, is because we're seeing them as characters that should provide something to our character. And that's what we call codependency. That's the major codependency. When you, when you need something from somebody, 
you are not going to be able to say, I am not a body, I am free, <laughs> I am still as God created me, because the ego is like, oh no, 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 you need that body. Maybe you think you need them to be a financial provider, maybe you think you need them for sex, maybe you think you need them for security, maybe you think you need that body for safety. Oh, no, no, no. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Your safety, your joy, your security, your happiness is in your mind. It's with the Holy Spirit's purpose. It's not inside the body of your brother and sisters. It's not inside the, the characters. In fact, if you start, if you're living your life based on codependencies with all these dream characters, you're going to feel so scattered in your own mind that you're going to think that you're just a figure in somebody else's dream. And then you'll really feel like a victim. You'll feel like a pawn. You'll feel like, I'm at the mercy of, of the system. I'm at the mercy of the government. I'm at the mercy of, of the restrictions of the government. I'm at the mercy of society. If you're not the dreamer, then you're the victim. But if you're the dreamer, you can have a happy dream because of the Holy Spirit. So this is the key to this whole movie. If, if you believe you are a, a character in the, in the dream, and you believe you are at the mercy of forces that are outside of you, not, nothing to do with your mind, but there are all these external forces, then of course you would be depressed, afraid, psychotic. <laughs> you, you would feel uh, like your life is worthless if you're at the mercy of an external world. But once you start to realize, I'm not at the mercy of the world, the world was made up with my mind using this ego, and now I can unplug from the ego and see the world the way the Holy Spirit sees the world. And then I'm free. So let's watch how it goes here. And I'm, I'm bringing this to your mind because when you watch this movie, don't be tempted with false empathy to go into Nemo's shoes and go, oh, you poor baby. Your girlfriend moved away, your, your, your love relationships end in disaster, uh, your mom and dad are divorced, you're constantly on the go. With all these scenarios, none of these are victim scenarios unless we believe in the reality of the dream. Okay, here we go. Okay, let's pause it. All right, there you go. <laughs> the dreams of the world. Soulmates from nine years old, 15, separated at 15, they find each other serendipitously in the, the train station. They are reunited, they come together, curtains, come down, let's have the drum roll and everything, and then I need a couple days, here's my phone number, and we follow the drop of water from the clouds, comes down, there goes the number. Now, if you, if you think that love can be found in persons, or you think that love can be found in interpersonal relationships, you know, that's a scene Again, nothing happens by accident, but it's, 
It's always to find the divine love within. Again, past the secret dream, inward to the light. The light is the love, but you know, if, if you watch this movie today and you go to, you go to bed tonight and you're just thinking, oh, Nemo and Anna, that's just, that's a heartbreaker. Then maybe you need to watch my Solaris uh, movie as a recovery. Uh, though lovers be lost, love shall not, and death shall have no dominion. There's a whole movie I've got for you if you really don't like this, this, this thing that the, finally they find each other and then they, they are separated again. But this is what I mean again, that belief in loss is in the secret dream. It's coming from the ego. The belief in abandonment is coming from the ego in the secret dream. The belief in betrayal is coming from the ego in the secret dream. Everything that seems to be acted out in terms of these movies, in terms of these stories, which are just dreams, is still coming from the secret dream. And there's, there is no escape uh, from the secret dream without forgiveness. So it, this kind of movie just gives you a speed up, like, oh my gosh, I, I really need to let this unconscious mind come up for, for healing for exposure, for release, because there is no escape from the dreams at the level of the dream. It, it actually is only escaped at the level of the mind. And if you start to just get a glimmering of this, this is like, this saves thousands of years. Thousands of years of playing this out in time and space. So, here we go, let's go back. I, now that we've just seen the, the drop splash across the phone number. Let's, uh, let's see. Uh, he's going to start uh, getting some pretty strong clues and guidance from the Holy Spirit now because if once you start to see the disillusionment of the special love relationship that the ego has held out as a reason to hide away from the light and, and stay with dreams, once that one goes then it gets pretty rapid uh, toward the guidance taking you inward to toward the light. Okay. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Well, that's food for thought. So now when you go to to your rest tonight, I want you to just ask the Holy Spirit for the interpretation of that. But just remember, time goes not forward, time goes backwards. And so this time inversion thing is just another symbol that basically things are not what they seem to be. And what we perceive through a, a fragmented lens, a dark glass of the ego, is, is not what we think it is. It's just the thoughts that what we think we think is, is the world that we think we perceive. And when I see the ending of this movie, I'm rem reminded, uh, if you want to watch a good music video that is a corollary of this movie, it's it's by Enigma, it's a very famous music video called Return to Innocence, which is all the images in the song, Return to Images, 
return to innocence, it's all inverted. <laughs> Everything is inverted. Time is inverted in the entire music video. And it starts to take you out of this idea that somehow that, that life involves something more, because basically the problem of this world is always trying to add something to what is perceived, instead of letting all things be exactly as they are. That's a workbook lesson again. Let all things be exactly as they are. Jesus says in the text that with every moment of every day you try to add something. And that adding something is the ego. Always trying to add something. Always wishing that things would be different than they are. And it's quite interesting that, that Jesus says that the correction to the dream the correction to the dream world, which of course is, is made by the secret dream, but the correction is acceptance of the atonement. Every decision that we make in terms of the self-concept and the time-space cosmos is always made as if we have to add something, and that's what the forward movement of time is always attempting to add something to what is. And some of you have heard uh, Byron Katie say the, the calling is really to love what is, loving what is. In fact, some, there was a question uh, that was written in uh, asking about if loving what is is, is actually what the, the forgiven world or the happy dream is about, and it is. It's, it's just a state of pure acceptance, where you're not looking to the dream to change in any way. That's what pure acceptance is. There's no sense of making the dream better or worse. There's no sense of adding anything to the dream or subtracting anything from the dream. It's really a version of the 12 steps uh, famous serenity prayer, what you can change, what you cannot change, and the wisdom to know the difference. In A Course in Miracles, the wisdom to know the difference is the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit is teaching us, and Jesus is teaching us, is you, you're not to seek to change the world, but really you're to change your mind about the world. And only choice that's meaningful is, is what purpose? What is it for? When Francis was talking about the setting the goal, that is what she said. What do I want to come of this? You can apply it to anything. You can apply it to any situation. You can apply it to the this weekend retreat. You can apply it to your relationships. You can apply it to anything at all of the dream world. What do I want to come of this? What is it for? But the purpose has to be out front. If you want the solution to the conundrum of time and space, Jesus is saying, just focus on what it is for for you. What do you want to come of it? 
because the dream world is neutral and if you want to see a happy dream, you have to want a happy dream. That has to be the one thing that you want. And if you don't want that, then it will seem to be something else, because the ego will fill in the gap. But I will close today with a, with a, a saying, an idea from Einstein. Either you will see everything in this dream world as a miracle, or you will see everything in this dream world as something else. But the choice is in the mind. And if you expect only miracles, that's exactly what you'll see. Because the world is nothing more than a reflection of consciousness. So, thank you for going on this adventure today. It's been a very profound adventure. And tomorrow, Francis and I will come and we will look, we will open it up. We have, we have your paper questions, but also, I think after you've seen this movie, when you have a rest tonight, and you offer your prayers up to Jesus and the Holy Spirit, I think that you will have insights and glorious answers that will come flooding into your mind. Because all we're doing is we're pulling the curtain on the ego, we're pulling the curtain on the, the dream that you dream in secret, and behind that curtain is so much love and so much light that if you had the faintest glimmering of this light and this love, you would cease to ever fear anything. You would cease to fear anything at all. Because the love is so powerful and so strong that it's inevitable that it's it's realized and recognized. So, I bid you a happy dream and happy prayers tonight as the Spirit comes to greet you and show you who you really are. Okay. God bless you. <laughs> Beyond the body! <laughs> <laughs> Beyond the body, yeah, love you. <laughs>